Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hello, and welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club, the podcast. My name is Helena, and I am an accredited practicing dietitian and your host, And today we are talking about the fasting blood sugar level. And I just think this is the thing that I get the most questions about by far. So you are totally not alone if you are out there struggling with your fasting blood sugar level. It seems like for so many people, the post-meal blood sugar can be, you know, much more manageable and that you can modify your diet and your lifestyle and that that one can be a little bit more easily manipulated. But the fasting blood sugar can really seem to have a mind of its own no matter what you do. So In this episode, hopefully I can give you some ideas, give you some tips to make a bit of a change and reduce that number. But I want you to know that if nothing that we talk about works, it's not because you're a failure, you don't need to feel guilty, it's not because you're not trying hard enough, it's just really challenging. And the thing with your fasting blood sugar is that it's pretty much um, primarily driven by your hormones. So it has less of... um, less of a relationship with your lifestyle and with those things like your diet and your exercise levels and things like that. So we can definitely try and modify those to an extent, but it's much less responsive to those sorts of changes than your post-meal blood sugar levels. So keep that in the back of your mind. Hopefully the things that we talk about today will help you, um, but no guarantees, I guess. Um, so yeah, anyway, let's get into it. I've got five factors that can impact your fasting blood sugar levels. So number one is stress. And I think that this can often be overlooked. And of course I have to say that it's easier said than done to reduce your stress levels, but stress actually does play a really, really big role in your blood sugar management. And so the reason for this is because when you're stressed, you activate like a fight or flight um, situation in your body. And you've probably heard this example before, but let's just imagine that back in the day, you're running away from a tiger or a lion or whatever it is. What goes on in your body is, you know, we we activate something called the sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight or flight response. And so that means that we're going to release some hormones. So things like cortisol and adrenaline. And when we release those hormones, we get some changes. So you get things like your pupils dilating your heart starts racing. You might get a little bit sweaty and you also get an increase in blood sugar. And all of these changes, they happen for a reason because if you have your pupils dilated, it means that you can see better so that you can run. And if you have your heart going faster, it means that more blood can be pumped around your body so that again, you can get, you know, your muscles can have that blood flow so that you can run. And and if you are getting sweaty, Again, it can cool you down so that if you're running, you can keep going. And if you've got more sugar in your bloodstream, you've got more fuel to be converted into energy so you can go faster and keep running for longer. So, you know, it all kind of points towards being able to have that physical response so that you can fight the lion if you need to, you can run away from it, you can do whatever you need to do. Obviously, that not that helpful in our everyday life at the moment? So, you know, the thing is our body doesn't really know the difference between running away from a tiger and getting 
a deadline at work or having an angry email from your boss or having a fight with your partner or a crying toddler or you know whatever it might be for you, whatever's causing you stress, our body doesn't necessarily know the difference. So we're still going to have that fight or flight response where those hormones are activated and we get all of those changes, including extra sugar in the bloodstream. So, you know, it's really handy if you do need to run away from something, but not so handy for you, especially when you're trying to really keep your blood sugar tightly regulated. So the main thing that I can say there is to try and be proactive about stress management. So instead of trying to reactively respond to a situation where you're stressed, maybe try and implement things day to day and make it a priority that you do things that you know can de-stress you. So what we want to do is activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of that fight or flight response. So we can call the parasympathetic nervous system more like the rest and digest. And so that's when, you know, your digestion's working a bit better and your breathing is nice and calm. You're not feeling like you need to react to anything. You're just feeling nice and a little bit zen, I suppose, and, and nice and calm, like I said. So things that typically can activate our parasympathetic nervous system are things like getting out into nature, doing some gentle physical activity if it's safe for you, reading a book, um, talking to a loved one, playing a game, those sorts of things. So everyone's going to be a little bit different as to what makes them feel nice and de-stressed and relaxed, but try and make it part of your routine. Like I said, not something that you do only when you're feeling stressed, Try and make sure that you can like preempt the stress and make sure that you've got some systems in place so that you're more more often activating that parasympathetic nervous system. And then have some strategies as well for when you do get stressed so that you can regulate your body and bring yourself back into that nice parasympathetic state. So just back into that calm, neutral state. Um I guess the other thing to mention there is that it can be a really vicious cycle if you're feeling stressed about your blood sugar. And that's often the case, you know, if you're worrying that your blood sugar numbers are high and particularly that fasting blood sugar level, then that can make more stress, right? So you're stressing about the blood sugar level and then your blood sugar level is high because you're stressing and, you know, the hormones are getting released, the fight or flight thing's happening. And so then you get more stressed because the number is still high. And so then the number gets higher because you're more stressed and it goes on and on and on. So really try and make stress reduction a priority. Let's move on. Number two, meal timing. So these, there's a few bits to this, I suppose. And the timing of your meals really can have an impact on that fasting blood sugar level. So in particular, your dinner and your breakfast. So an interesting concept just in general to think about is that our body tends to handle carbohydrates better earlier in the day. So this has you know, a bit to do with our circadian rhythms and natural biological clock. And some studies have found that insulin resistance is at worst in the evening when our body isn't necessarily designed to be consuming food. And so I don't want you to get kind of hung up on this and think that, you know, that there's that old myth where it's like you can't eat carbs after 8 p.m. or something silly. It's not like that. Our body still knows how to eat. It still knows how to metabolize and digest things at any time of the day. But it does just seem that physiologically, we're better off to eat in the morning or I guess like as but as the sun. Like, I don't know if that made sense. But, you know, when the sun rises and we're meant to be awake and we're meant to be eating and then when the sun sets, we're meant to be sleeping and not eating. So try and kind of go by that. And again, that's not so easy in practice if you're, say, a shift worker, if you're a nurse, something like that, 
and you have to eat at um, strict times. But if you do have some flexibility over this, then I would definitely say try and eat early. And that's, you know, that's for some other reasons as well that I'll get into and finish eating early as well. So trying to finish your dinner by like six or seven o'clock would be a good idea and not eating really too late. The caveat to that is having like a bedtime snack can be really helpful for some people. And I think that that's a topic for a whole separate episode because that's a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of evidence. But I am a little bit of a fan of having a bedtime snack if you're having that earlier dinner in terms of making sure that there's not too long of a fasting window between your dinner and your breakfast. And also to make sure that you can get in all of the nutrients that you need to be getting in day to day. So that's the first thing. So having an early breakfast, so I'd say wake up as early as you can and have your breakfast. And let's just touch on the other reasons for this as well. Um, When you go to sleep overnight, generally we call that a fast. So you're having your last thing you eat and then the time until breakfast, that's a fast, right? And you're asleep during that time. We don't want that to go for too long because if it does, What can happen is your liver can start to release a stored form of um, glucose into your bloodstream to keep you going if it all gets depleted. So we don't really want to have that kind of thing going on. So we want to have a minimal kind of fasting window. One way we can do that is by eating as early as possible. And the other thing is that there's another hormonal response that happens too. So when it's like the early hours of the morning and before we're going to wake up, our body kind of gets us ready and it releases hormones like cortisol that put some sugar into our bloodstream so that we're ready to go once we do wake up. And this is, you know, I don't know, like the early hours. So to try and catch this and not let our sugar continue to rise in the morning, again, try and wake up and eat as early as possible. And try not to wake up and then kind of dilly-dally around before getting to breakfast. Try and eat straight away and do your test straight away. Because, again, our body is kind of sensing that we're awake and we need some more energy and some more fuel, so it's going to keep putting sugar in your bloodstream. So try and counteract it. Get up as early as you can. Test as early as you can. Eat as early as you can. So we want to have the early breakfast for those reasons. And then we want to have, you know, lunchtime, whenever is kind of reasonable, And then we want to have that early dinner because our body handles food and it has um, better insulin sensitivity earlier in the evening. And then you potentially want to have a bedtime snack just so that there's not too long of a gap between your dinner and your breakfast. So I'd say eight to 10 hours maximum overnight when you haven't been eating um, and see how you go doing that. Now, number three is hydration. So it can be really easy to overlook this one as well. But simply put, if you're dehydrated, the concentration of sugar in your bloodstream is going to increase. So we want to make sure that you're nice and hydrated so that the blood sugar is floating around, sorry, the sugar in your blood is is not getting like really over-concentrated and there's enough fluid in there to regulate things out. And this is really important overnight. Obviously, when you're pregnant, there are some other challenges. Like you might feel like you need to get up and wee all the time. But I want you to do your absolute best to make sure that you stay hydrated overnight. So don't start restricting your fluid, knowing that you're going to have to go to bed and you don't want to have to wake up and wee a million times. I know everybody's situation is going to be individual. So 
you're going to have different tolerances to this, but make sure that you are hydrated overnight. And in the morning as well, make sure you've got like a glass of water or a bottle of water beside your bed so that you can drink first thing in the morning before you test so that you're not testing and getting that really dehydrated reading. Number four is movement. So physical activity has so many benefits, not just about managing your blood sugar, but it is super helpful in this instance. So when you're physically active, it uses up sugar as fuel. So blood sugar will be um, transported out of the bloodstream. And it also increases insulin sensitivity, which means that your insulin actually works better. So we've got two mechanisms there. So the physical activity takes the sugar out of your bloodstream without needing insulin, and it can make the insulin work better for that other mechanism. So this effect occurs whilst you're exercising, but also for hours afterwards as well, it can have that improved insulin sensitivity. So doing some kind of exercise can really be helpful for your fasting blood sugar level, particularly if you do it in the afternoon or evening. And the type of exercise might play a role as well. So higher intensity exercise is more likely to raise your blood sugar in the short term because you need extra fuel, essentially. Uh, But over time, it will still decrease blood sugar. But something that's more relaxed, uh, more steady state, so if it's like yoga or a slow walk, is maybe actually a better option because it's more likely to just drop your blood sugar and then keep it low and keep it low for longer as well. And not low, sorry, I shouldn't say low. Keep it um, at the level we want it to be at, at target. So doing physical activity in the afternoon or evening, most likely going to have a positive effect on your fasting blood sugar. And number five, we've got sleep. So this is, um, again, they're, they're all kind of easier said than done, I suppose. But focusing on your sleep can be really, really beneficial. So I want you to have a think. Are you getting a good amount of hours in every night? And are the hours of sleep that you're getting at a good quality? Because the research suggests to us that having a short amount of sleep, so not getting to sleep for very long and not sleeping very well, and they're known to raise blood sugar levels, those two factors. So it's really important that you do do your best to prioritize getting a good rest. So if you're somebody that's in a bad habit of scrolling before bed or watching Netflix and was wanting to watch the next episode, you need to try and get out of those habits now. I know that we all do things that aren't necessarily good for us, but try and implement some other things. So having a nice dark room, having a cold room, trying to wind down and getting off technology about an hour before going to bed, not eating right before you lie down. So you should be trying to have your earlier dinner anyway, but don't try and eat anything, particularly anything heavy, right before you go to bed, especially if you're experiencing things like heartburn or reflux. So you don't want your body trying to digest a really big meal before you go to bed. Get comfy, like use a pregnancy pillow or whatever you need to. Um, You know, do all of those good sleep hygiene things to try and get yourself a really good night of rest so that we can have that optimal blood sugar in the morning. So to summarize, we want to look at these five areas. We want to be making sure you've got stress reduction strategies in place You want to look at your meal timing, so trying to time things earlier. So wake up and eat breakfast as soon as you can in the morning and eat your dinner relatively early as well. So 8 p.m. would be way too late, so you want to be looking at more like 6 to 7. Staying nice and hydrated, getting in some movement, especially in the afternoon or evening, and getting in that good quality sleep. So they're the five things that I suggest that you work on. 
And like I said at the start, they might not all work. They might not all work all the time. Um, and you might just be stuck with a really tricky fasting blood sugar level. But even if these things don't work, they're just really good strategies to be supporting your general well-being regardless. So most importantly, your fasting blood sugar level is not a reflection on you. You're not a failure if you can't seem to get it under the target. It's really, really, really so often down to your hormones. So don't blame yourself, but these are certainly some things that you can try um, and they might help you out. And just remember that your team is looking for trends and not perfection, okay? So if you have the occasional one-off high number, it's not probably going to be a concern. Um, so just try and have your numbers looking good most of the time. And if you do need medication or insulin to keep on top of your fasting blood sugar levels, then again, it doesn't mean that you're a failure or a bad mum or you're not trying hard enough. Like just do what you need to do. Everything is okay. Everything is perfect. Just do whatever's working for you, okay? This is, these are just some tools in your toolkit so that you can do your best, all right? I hope that helps in some way and... As always, if you enjoyed this episode, then I would love if you could share it with somebody, even leave a review if you would like to. Um, but yes, I, I really do hope that you got something out of it and I will speak to you next time. Thanks. Bye. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.